0: Hey everybody and welcome to the Five Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors, Control Up, End-to-End Digital Experience Management for the Work from Anywhere Era. Control Up, Happy Users, Happy IT. And also brought to you by Policy Pack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And of course, also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. If you enjoy the show each week, you have these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. On this episode of the podcast, I'm going to cover some of my highlights from the various Microsoft build announcements, but before I get into that, I want to follow up on a major story from last week's episode. The May Windows updates broke client-server authentication for some customers. Well, the good news is an out-of-band update is now available for domain controllers, The bad news was they released it late Thursday, so awkward timing for admins. You know, a lot of admins don't like to rush patches out on a Thursday or Friday at the end of the week and potentially cause problems over the weekend when there's a skeleton crew or even just result in them having to work the weekend. And it was also bad news for me since I had just put out an episode of the podcast and I could have included the fact that there was this out-of-band patch in that episode, but say la vie. The cumulative updates released should be installed on domain controllers and there's no action needed on the client side. These updates are available from Server 2008 and up. And I'll share a link with a list of all of the KBs and the out-of-band patches for each operating system with this episode and you'll be able to find that at 5bytespodcast.com under reference links for episode 231. And just so you know, these updates can be manually imported into WSUS, which is the Windows Server Update Services, and Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager. If you're maybe a junior and you're not familiar with out-of-band patches, these are not automatically available to you. This is something you have to go out, get, and then deploy. Given the serious nature of the vulnerabilities that the patch is available to fix, This is one you'll want to deploy sooner rather than later. Now, like I said at the top of the show, Microsoft Build was held this week with many different announcements made. Rather conveniently, Microsoft have provided a book of news that contains everything discussed at the event as they have been doing at all of their major events for the last few years. Now, I didn't attend this event virtually due to prior engagements, But seeing the live tweets and just following along via social media, my impression was that many of the big announcements on at least the first day of the event and during the kickoff, uh, these were just things that had already been publicly announced, but perhaps since this is developer focused, it's worth Microsoft reiterating and mentioning these announcements again, because perhaps they would have been lost if developers were not at those standalone events or maybe those events geared more towards IT pros. An example of this is the cloud PC coverage during build and the fact that they were showing the Windows 11 desktops features that allow you to easily switch between your cloud PC and desktops. And now that's obviously something I covered on a previous episode of the podcast. Satya Nadella talked about it at an event I think a couple of months ago already so it's not new but it may be new to developers. Also announced was the fact that several different products have gone from being in a preview state to generally available. One such product is the Azure Container Apps, which was in preview and has now become generally available. And that is an app centric service that empowers developers to focus on differentiating business logic of their apps rather than on cloud infrastructure management. Azure Container Apps executes app code packaged in any Linux based container without enforcing opinionated runtimes or programming models. They say you can scale all the way down to zero or scale out to meet global demand in response to HTTP requests or events. So that idea of scaling up containers based on the actual real-time demand. Alternatively, Azure Container Apps supports running apps as always on background services too. Azure Container Apps is built on the foundation of powerful open source technology with CNCF projects like Kubernetes Event Driven Autoscaling, uh, Distributed Application Runtime, and Envoy running on the Azure Kubernetes service. Developers can leverage Dapr to encapsulate best practices for microservices and Kubernetes Event Driven Autoscaling to achieve event driven scale without managing complex manifests or Kubernetes operators. Also in this same sort of realm or wheelhouse, newly announced is the Azure Deployment Environments, which is a new cloud service that empowers development teams to quickly spin up their app infrastructure with self-service of project-based infrastructure as a code templates that minimize setup time while maximizing security, compliance, and cost efficiency. You can sign up for the waiting list to evaluate the private preview of this And if you'd like to see demos of the service, you can watch the build session and all the build sessions should be available online. And I'll share a link to some of the announcements with this episode. But also shown in some of the insider builds and discussed before, but also then reiterated and presented during build was the new Windows 11 widgets. And this is obviously one of those things that even though it was talked about before and available even in the insider builds, it's worth repeating to developers because this may encourage them to actually create widgets. And I'll have another story around a specific widget after I finish the build announcements. But also announced was a new open hardware called Project Volterra which is a new device powered by the Snapdragon compute platform. They say with Project Volterra, you will be able to explore many AI scenarios by the new Qualcomm Neural Processing SDK for Windows Toolkit announced by Qualcomm Technologies. And because they expect to see NPUs being built into most, if not all future computing devices, they're going to make it easy for developers to leverage new capabilities by baking support for MPUs into the end to end Windows platform. And in regards to ARM or ARM, to ensure ease of use for shared customers between Microsoft and these hardware suppliers, they're also announcing a comprehensive end to end ARM native toolchain for ARM native apps, including. Full Visual Studio 2022 and VS Code support, Visual C++, Modern.NET 6 and Java, Classic.NET Framework, Windows Terminal, Windows Subsystem for Linux, and WSA for running Linux and Android apps. And you'll see the first preview of many of the tools discussed during build in the next few weeks, including the Visual Studio 2022. I mentioned Neural Processing in relation to the Neural Processing SDK, well the Neural Processing Units are MPUs that I also talked about a little bit. Um, Just to explain that further, the hope for these according to a ChannelFutures.com report is that these MPUs will effectively load balance the CPU and GPU on Windows devices with Azure Compute Services. That process would free up the CPU and GPU on a computing device for more compute intensive processing. I had a quick discussion on this topic with the awesome Tim Mangan and it all kind of just feeds into some of my own exasperation with bloaty modern applications and the idea of having these module units for doing more offloading in order to improve performance to me it just kinda it doesn't address the overall problem, which is these highly inefficient applications. I mean, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. So maybe better practices around developing applications and making them leaner would be in everyone's best interest, but that doesn't seem to be the way. And if these apps have to become more bloaty, which seems to be the path we're all heading down then I guess having these MPUs and these different modules for offloading should benefit us. Also during build, it was announced that Microsoft have overhauled the apps page in Microsoft Edge and have created a new apps hub experience, plus added app sync across devices for a better user experience. The progressive web apps will also have notifications which will now show that they were delivered via the Progressive web app rather than like any open edge browser you might have. So you know those toast notifications that pop up it'll actually indicate well this is from your PWA and you might otherwise get confused and think oh well I have all my edge browser and find it there. Well that could be confusing but now the confusion will be eliminated. It was also highlighted that users can find progressive web apps right alongside native apps for easy discovery in a location where they are already looking for apps. But that's not all for the Microsoft Store though. There were several significant announcements that may mean the store finally becomes prime time. Tom Warren reported that the store will be getting a restore feature showing a restore all apps button in a screenshot of the store. Now this could be useful if say maybe you wipe all of the applications off your machine for some reason I'm not sure I'm not sure why Um, so that's my logic because I believe like if it's a case that you wipe a device or whatever and it's like as new once you log into the store using your Microsoft account you're already given the option to sync your applications to the device so this is specifically a restore all button so I guess if maybe you wiped some of the applications or maybe all the applications from your device and you haven't necessarily rebuilt it you'll have that ability to restore all your applications and also regarding the store Microsoft is also improving how Windows 11 users can discover apps with app results from the store being listed in search results if people are using search to try and find an app so that could be a double-edged sword right because maybe that's a way for developers to game the system and have their app pop up within searches just on general windows by the naming of the application, I guess remains to be seen. But perhaps most significant, in my opinion, in terms of announcements for the store, is the fact that Win32 apps will be welcome in the store. Hallelujah, it seems like it's been a long time coming. And according to the book of news, They specifically stated that Microsoft has announced the removal of the waitlist program for Win32 apps in the store. Any app that runs on Windows including C++, WinForms, WPF, MAUI, React, Rust, Flutter, and Java is welcome in the Microsoft Store. Additionally, Win32 developers can reduce deployment friction by using their existing CI-CD pipeline in GitHub to directly push to the Microsoft Store. Once developers have their Win32 app in the store, they can view actionable insights on health, installations, and usage. Noticeably absent from the book of news is MSIX. Now, at the time of this recording, I believe build is still going on. I think today is the last day. Um, But I was hoping for more around MSIX during the conference. I was hoping there'd be more progress shared on maybe getting a higher rate of compatibility for apps but sadly, it doesn't look like there are any enhancements to report. Um, if there's anything added at the tail end of the conference related to MSAX, I'll be sure to cover it on next week's episode. But there, were many other, but there were many other announcements, including some announcements around like .NET Framework 6 features, a Visual Studio Toolkit for building Teams apps, and much more. I just wanted to share my highlights. I didn't want to make the whole show very long and all about Microsoft Build because I've got some other news to get to. And if you'd like to check out more of the news from Build Yourself, I'll share a link to the book of news and you can just do a quick search for things that you care about or um, look through the actual content list and see what interests you and just read it for yourself. And I'll share that again with this episode, which is episode 231. And you'll find that on fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode or depending on the podcast platform you're listening to on, You may find a link to it in the description field for this episode. I recorded this episode before the confirmed acquisition attempt by Broadcom to buy VMware. So I actually went through a whole story just speculating that an offer may take place. And surprise, before I could get the episode out, It turns out that Broadcom and VMware both confirmed and published their own stories and announcements that Broadcom have made an attempt to acquire VMware. Now, the original article I was covering was speculating that the value of VMware could be around $50 billion, but they expected the offer to be much larger. Well, the bid is in, and it appears to be for $61 billion, which is just mind-boggling to me. In a very interesting twist, Broadcom have stated their intention to rebrand their own software division to VMware, so the VMware name will live on if this bid goes through, uh, but just as a division of Broadcom. One reason reported for Broadcom's interest in VMware is that despite its profits due to the global chip shortage, the manufacturer does not want to solely depend on chip production. Brian Madden, who left VMware three months ago, gave his take on the potential takeover, and it is quite the read. He kicked off his blog by stating he had an agreement not to discuss VMware as part of his severance, but claims VMware reneged on the agreement so he was willing to give his honest opinion about the deal. He speculates on the potential for massive layoffs. Like others in the community, he also pointed out Broadcom's poor track record for other acquisitions in the past and much more. Some of it pretty explosive. He got into some of the anti-competition practices by Microsoft, which has kind of been a running theme in particular over the last two or three years on this podcast as well. Um, But his focus in this area was around, you know, the viability of VDI for different competing vendors and just the fact that Microsoft from a licensing perspective has kind of got that on lock, unfortunately, because competition helps everyone. So Microsoft locking that up is not going to be good for customers. I'm not going to go deep into this blog post. It is quite lengthy even though it would be fun to do so because it is a really good read. Uh, I don't want to take away from clicks and views for Brian. So I just suggest you check that out for yourselves. And I'll share a link to that as I do with everything I discuss on each episode of the podcast on 5 under reference links for this episode. Control up real-time DX version 8. has been announced by ControlUp and this brings with it some really great new features including new Citrix PVS metrics, new triggers and scripts, some new PowerShell commandlets, uh, logon duration enhancements, VMware vRealize operations integration, and more Azure integration goodies, plus more. If you'd like to hear more about this, you can also register and tune into ControlUp's webinar that will take place on June 8th, 2022, to see a deep dive into new features and enhancements, and to see live demos given by their product experts, uh, my buddies Yoel Stalker and Trenton Tai. They also promised more blogs coming soon, and in the announcement blog, they have links to the updated agents for performing your upgrades. So. Go forth and test and enjoy everyone. Okay, so not necessarily a build announcement, but Microsoft related and also related to something I talked about during the actual build announcements. But it was reported by ZDNet that an insider build of Windows 11 now contains a search box in the middle of the desktop. And this looks like an example of one of those new widgets. So whether or not people will use and like this search bar, well, that's up for debate. Uh, as it's plopped right in the middle of this desktop I could imagine that will annoy some people based on their current workflows. But it is a pretty interesting example and obviously in Windows 10 and even more so in Windows 11 um, search has become pretty critical in terms of navigating the desktop. So it would be interesting to see how this evolves going forward. Unfortunately, VMware published an advisory once again for several other products in terms of security vulnerability. Uh, These vulnerabilities specifically are CVE-2022-22972 and 22973, uh, which gets a 9.8 out of 10 on the severity scale. So these are some pretty serious vulnerabilities. And the products affected are VMware Workspace ONE Access, VMware Identity Manager, VMware vRealize Automation, VMware Cloud Foundation, and VMware vRealize Suite Lifecycle Manager. So for those keeping score at home, I believe Workspace ONE Access and Identity Manager had some pretty serious vulnerabilities just over the last few weeks as well, so unfortunately Looks like there's going to be patches required for these again. So VMware have described this as being an authentication bypass vulnerability affecting local domain users of Workspace ONE Access, Identity Manager, and vRealize Automation. A malicious actor with network access to the user interface may be able to obtain admin access without the need to authenticate. Thus the high severity. to remediate, apply the patches listed by VMware in their fixed version column within the VMware Advisory VMSA-2022-0014. And they also listed some workarounds, but given the severity of this, I think you'll want to patch as soon as possible. And just as an added incentive here, bleepycomputer.com have reported that the Horizon 3 attack team announced just this week that they managed to create a working proof of concept exploit for one of the vulnerabilities and they stated they're likely to release a technical report at the end of this week. So (laughs) on this episode, I'm telling you, hey, VMware have published this advisory. They've got these vulnerabilities and hey, also, it looks like there's going to be an exploit publicly available this week too. So no time to rest, unfortunately. And as a tease for what's to come, Horizon 3's attack team published a screenshot showing that they gained access to a VMware Workspace ONE instance, even though no user was signed in through the web login interface. So if you've got critical applications published out through Workspace ONE, you know, <laughs> there's pretty serious implications if you're able to get access to those applications without the web login. So don't sleep on this one. Healthcareitnews.com reported this week on a class action lawsuit against Google and DeepMind as it is claimed there was an unlawful use of confidential medical records belonging to 1.6 million NHS patients without their knowledge or consent. The claim for the misuse of private information relates to an arrangement formed in 2015 between Google's subsidiary DeepMind and the Royal Free London NHS Foundation Trust. DeepMind received the patient data from the Royal Free for the clinical safety testing of a smartphone app called Streams, which was developed to detect acute kidney injuries. The app was subsequently used by the Royal Free on a discount basis, and the UK's data privacy organization, the ICO, subsequently ruled the Royal Free had not complied with the requirements of Data Protection Acts when it provided the patient's data. So class action lawsuits have the potential to be pretty massive. So this is one definitely worth following, although I'm sure it could drag on for several years. Um, So if there's any update over the course in the next few months and years, I hope to cover it on the podcast. The great Carl Stallhood shared a link to Citrix documentation this week on Twitter and a screenshot from that said document that refers to a 40% impact on scalability regarding user density when running Microsoft Teams in Citrix. And obviously that's not just going to be Citrix, I believe. Um, that's true for, I'd imagine, most RDSH environments or you know, multi-session shared environments. Teams, unfortunately, is just a pig. Even when it's optimized, it's crazy, noisy, or expensive in terms of resource utilization. And unfortunately, these modern apps, (laughs) it's not just Teams that's a pig. So this may be our future. Maybe this could be the thing that drives people away from VDI and from virtualization and more towards physical endpoints dispersed around the world to people working remotely and just accept that application deployments are very slow and not centralized and a pain in the butt again. One step forward, two steps back. If any developers are listening to this because I put Microsoft Build Announcements in the title please for us IT pros make your applications more efficient and consider multi-session scenarios (laughs) you'll be doing us a big favor. Okay getting away from some of the uh, technical stories this week but Microsoft shared its five European cloud principles which it said will enhance transparency and better support Europe's technology needs. And this is as part of their revised plans for cloud licensing deals in order to make it easier for European cloud providers to compete. Now one of the principles is to support European cloud service providers. The changes include a revision to cloud licensing and under the new terms, customers will not have to buy an additional license if they have already purchased Microsoft's cloud services. Microsoft president, Brad Smith, said the changes follow feedback Microsoft heard from European cloud providers. One example he gave was from a CEO who said that he felt that he was a victim of friendly fire in Microsoft's competition with Amazon. Brad Smith went on to say that it was hard to hear this, but he was right. Over the past few years, Microsoft's focus on competing with the largest technology providers resulted in them not being as attentive to the impact of their cloud provider partners. And they are making changes to remedy this. And they said that's beginning today. Now, (laughs) uh, I'm kind of skeptical of all this. Now, the the article from SiliconRepublic.com goes into the fact that senior officials within europe within the european union the european commission had recently discussed some anti-competition concerns regarding microsoft's cloud services and i've been doing this podcast now for several years you know when i started i believe uh, you know satya nadella was being praised for his leadership in the direction microsoft was going in uh, becoming more open source friendly And rather than being competitive with different operating systems and different manufacturers kind of embracing everything and kind of becoming more software focused and part of that obviously being running software in the cloud. But Microsoft's direction, particularly in the last two or three years, seems to be pretty shrewd again where, you know, they're getting people on board onto their Azure cloud services, and then kind of locking people in by having like exclusives in there. Like for example, in the UC space, the multi-session Windows 10, the EVD requires you to use Azure, but there's so many other examples of this too, some in Windows 365 as well. I've kind of talked about or alluded to on this show in the past. It's kind of a worrying trend. The European commission has been somewhat of a gatekeeper for some of these large vendors in the past. So hopefully this is a good thing and it's not just window dressing. I hope Microsoft do address the concerns for their cloud partners. This week, the BBC reported that SpiceJet, which is an Indian airline, suffered a ransomware attack that dramatically affected its operations with many passengers taking to social media to complain about delays and cancellations even some who had already boarded a flight but ended up having to get off the plane again and with some complaining that services were greatly disrupted even a day after the attack with no communication of delays and disruption ahead of time, despite the fact the company obviously knew. SpiceJet said in a statement that the situation had been rectified, saying, quote, our IT team has contained and rectified the situation and flights are operating normally now, end quote. But that statement put out on Twitter was then met with more passengers sharing their stories of woe in real time. So just another interesting example of the real world knock on effects of ransomware attacks on companies. You know, hitting an airline is massively disruptive, although obviously not nearly as sickening and disturbing as attacks on healthcare facilities like hospitals or even mental health care facilities having data leaks of client-sensitive information. But it all sucks just the same, unfortunately. Crunchbase recently published an article about a rise in tech workers' salaries, which seems timely given Microsoft's recent announcements that they will be raising pay grades for their employees but the article also discusses other perks at length such as obviously remote work very topical um, but on top of that free food deliveries by the likes of uber eats to those working from home airbnb credits for those working from anywhere or remotely and they also highlight a company called seismic who recently moved to providing egg freezing and ivf benefits through their insurance for employees. And I believe that's kind of a big deal because that's quite an expensive treatment. So to provide that insurance policy in the United States is probably going to be pretty costly and up the premium and the charge for that company to pay some of that group rate. But it's great to see, you know, with the great resignation, companies are becoming more aware of the fact that they need to retain employees and also attract new employees. It's a pretty competitive market, despite what I covered last week, which is the many large tech companies who are laying people off at the moment, and the fact that a recession is being predicted at the beginning of 2023, but there's still at least this competition to attract employees in the tech space. And finally on the news this week, I saw that the App Manage event have their tickets on sale for early bird prices until June 1st. So if you're interested in attending the event in the Netherlands that's being held in October, now is the time to buy tickets to avail of that early bird pricing. And now this episode's hot jobs. First up, if you're interested in a career in support engineering for the Microsoft 365, five training opportunities are now available. If you successfully complete the training academy, you'll gain industry recognized qualifications and potentially get a job offer to join the Microsoft customer service and support team based in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Completing the academy gets you an interview with Microsoft, as I said, and during the academy, it's said that you get about 155 pounds a week, plus travel expenses and childcare. To me, that seems like a pretty good deal. They're basically training you up. If you don't get hired, you at least get those qualifications. And you've had 155 pounds for the week while training, plus travel expenses and childcare. And you also have the experience of interviewing for Microsoft, even if you don't get the job. But you could also end up with a job at the end of it. So it seems like a pretty sweet deal. Thanks to Peter Lewis for this next one, who shared that Viochi, I hope I pronounced that right, uh, are hiring for several different roles, including database administrators, sysadmins, solution engineers, and customer success managers, plus more. Also some that are maybe less tech related. It looks like they're pretty competitive in terms of salary and also promote diverse workplace and inclusive culture within the company and offer flexible schedules with remote options, health insurance, including vision and dental options. PTO, holidays and sick time, paid parental leave, short-term and long-term disability, paid life insurance, and 401k retirement plan. So if you're in the market for a job, check that out. And now this episode, scripts, tricks, and tips. The awesome Jen Gentleman shared another couple of really great tips again this week. One of them is if you use the Windows key plus shift plus left or right, you'll be able to move a window between monitors. I didn't know that. I always drag them. (laughs) So there's a keyboard shortcut for that. Also she shared that you can add additional clocks to the Windows clock and calendar within Windows 11. That's really handy because I worked in a lot of different organizations where I'm working with people in different countries. So it'd be cool to be able to just click on that and see what time it is for everyone. The awesome Morris Daly shared a blog post that he created around application reliability monitoring with log analytics. So if you're using Microsoft Azure, maybe you're using Microsoft Endpoint Manager and Endpoint Analytics, what Morris is sharing here is a really great addition to some of the data that you get out of Endpoint Analytics. In my opinion, The reports aren't really great out of endpoint analytics yet, so what Morris has created is very timely and it's something you wanna look at to augment or add or enhance your current reporting. My buddy Doug Petroli launched his own blog site called desktopsforeveryone.com. And his first blog posts are on conditional access 101 for Windows 365. And also a blog post on Spot PC and the fact that that's gone generally available. If you're not familiar with Spot PC, that's a desktop as a service offering from NetApp. I hope to see more blog posts from Doug on his site, desktopsforeveryone.com. I encourage you all to check it out. And if you're listening to this and you don't have a blog currently and you work in tech, I strongly consider you to get in it, especially if you're in the EUC space because it kind of seems like Current blogs from people in the industry have kind of dried up a little bit so there's a void to be filled there so you know get your voice heard um, share with everyone. The awesome Intune Debug Toolkit has been updated to version 1.4 and this version includes a nice device detail display and a beautiful UI plus more so check out the new version as well as some of the updated release notes on github.com slash M-M-E-L-K-E-R-S-E-N, but I'll share the link as well, make it easy um, with this episode. Rachel Erevoir shared a guide for getting a developer 365 account in order to work with the Power Platform. So I think this is something that I shared before. I believe I shared how to get a E5 developer 365 account. Um, but you know, if you don't currently have the means to pay for your own 365 account in order to try out some different products and maybe do some coding against these different platforms, this is a great guide to follow in order to get that access that you need for free. Office365itpros.com had a pretty cool blog post on using the Graph API to generate mailbox folder statistics together with Graph API and PowerShell. So if that's up your alley, check that out. Leon Bouquet, I hope that's how you pronounce the name. I really butcher people's names, I'm sorry. Uh, but Leon shared a blog post that he published on hosting your own Winget private repository. And that's something that I shared last year, I think, um, around the fact that Winget would support private repositories. I really like Winget. Uh, it's maybe a little bit limited in what's available in the public library but being able to use a private repository be pretty cool. This week also noticed a blog post by Benoit LeCours who has a blog on customizing the software center with SCCM task sequences and package icons. And that's obviously also going to be relevant to Microsoft Endpoint Configuration Manager considering task sequences are still relevant there. And while I didn't read or see anything related to MSIX and Microsoft build, uh, Matteo Pagani of Microsoft did publish an article recently on getting full control over MSIX updates with the app installer APIs. So app installer again is WinGet, And one of the cool things about MSIX when they first announced it was going to be the streamlined update process. So perhaps MSIX together with app installer will give that more streamlined upgrade process which i'm sure will because one of the cool things about winget is the fact that you can sync and update all the applications with a single command so it's really cool if you haven't tried it yet hey and while i encourage people to go out and create your own blog if you'd like to just contribute to a blog if you've never had a blog before you can contribute to the Microsoft 365 platform community blog at any time and it's encouraged. And Luis Fries has shared a blog post on how you can create a blog, what instructions to use and what guide to follow, and how you can share that. Good opportunity to get your feet wet. And finally, something I'm involved in the cloud paging user group that I'm one of the leaders of will be holding our next. Meet up virtually online on Friday, June 17th at 2 30 p.m. Irish summertime, which is also British summertime. So that would be about 3:30 p.m. in Europe and 9:30 a.m. Eastern for those in the US. As usual, the topics have been decided by our actual user group members. And what people wanted to hear about this time, or at least one person had asked to hear about, was recommendations for optimizing management and updates of the actual cloud paging player, which is the actual agent for cloud pager and a new cloud paging. And also an example of handling a complex application when packaging into cloud paging. So if you're familiar with cloud paging, you'd like to join the user group, please do. The more the merrier. And if you're not familiar, but you're interested in application delivery and modernizing application delivery, join as well. Well, that's it for the podcast this week. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you like the podcast, by all means, please go out and rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice and give it a review. Thanks, everyone, and catch you next week.